Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Renfield starring Nicholas Holt, Aquafina, Ben Schwartz, and Nicholas Cage. Based on characters by Bram Stoker, story by Robert Kirkman, screenplay by Ryan Ridley, and directed by Chris McKay. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time to continue on this Renfield cast with the new, newly released Renfield from Universal Pictures. Can't wait to talk uh, with you about this uh, and just, just your thoughts and what this does for the Dracula mythos, what it represents for the future of the Universal Monsters. It's kind of a a quietly pretty big film for us, right? Yeah, it is a huge film. And, you know, the horror comedy aspect, I'm sure we're going to get into all of it. First things first, as always, we poured ourselves some more of the Basil Hayden's. This is the red wine cask finish that we opened up last week. Mm-hmm. Those cherries. Pretty good stuff. It is good stuff. That's a um, good one. But I know we're going to have a ton to talk about, so let's not even beat around the bush this week. Let's dive right into our flight question. Definitely taking a look at sidekicks this week, right? Renfield, the uh, motivation for this entire cast. So I gave you the opportunity to expand that a little bit and take three sidekicks from any walk of fiction, film, story, comic book, wherever you'd like, that you'd like to see spun off into their own standalone film, prequel or otherwise. So kind of like this, right? Kind of like this, but not him. Yeah, Renfield getting his own film, which, yeah, that just sounds wild. It's just like, well, I would just make a Dracula movie. He's in it. But I was like, I can't wait to talk about just kind of the character in general today and just kind of what that opened up of, like, his background, right? Mm -hmm. My number three I'm going to go with this week is, uh, I'm going to go with McLovin from Superbad. I love that. Good choice. (laughs) How funny. Uh, Probably, you know, post their adventures there on that uh, hot... uh, senior senior night right uh what does mclovin look like as a working businessman i i i have no idea but i I would definitely like to see more adventures with that that character he was he was so ridiculous and kind of a wild card with you know jonah hill and michael Sarah there and him teaming up with the cops bill Hader and seth rogan was just like kind of comedy genius but Mm -hmm. i think there's some ground to play with there and kind of a raunchy comedic space and where's that genre right now matt i mean you know, the, the Judd Apatow, the Jason Siegel kind of raunch comedy. Like, I can't even tell you the last, like, really good one that I, I've seen in that in that regard. No, me either. Yeah. Yeah, that strangely maybe perished a little sooner than we had thought. I do love that choice, though. Mm-hmm. Um, you could certainly get that actor. He's not very busy right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good choice. Thank you. Uh, my number three is coming from one of the all-timer all-timers for me. I think I want this as a prequel, not a postquel. Okay. But I want Red Redding 
from Shawshank Redemption. And what I want to see is what the event was that got him incarcerated. Pick it up there. Mm-hmm. Be the night of crime. And then I want to see him build his little cadre of ne'er-do-wells, this Shawshank Prison Association Incorporated, those guys. Uh, I want to see how he carves his way through. It's a pretty ugly landscape. And there's a lot of story in that insofar as what Red has provided to the inmates of Shawshank with his contraband uh, selling. Mm-hmm. So that's actually what I want to see. Youngish, youngish Red. Sounds pretty interesting, and you know, other than you know, because it because it was a murder charge, right? That yeah. kind of put him in there. But we, other than that, we kind of know next to nothing of the crime that took place in the early 1920s, possibly. Yeah. Like, so it'd be definitely be a period piece there. But yeah, I think that there's there, there's some there's something to play with there. There's there's some fruit on that vine, as they would say. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> he he seems to be the de facto leader before Andy shows up, right? Of sure. that group mm-hmm. of seven eight people. How? Yeah. And I don't necessarily want to see a story of just the horrors that that man went through, but that's certainly going to come into play. We'll probably get a revisitation from Boggs. We'll probably get some more um, Warden Norton and Byron Hadley. And Yeah, I'd be okay with that. Yeah, you'd be good. Great choice. Thanks. My number two, I am going to go with... I could go either way on this one. I do have one honorable mention. Uh, but number two, I'm going to go with Tom Hagen from The Godfather. Yeah, why not? Two films because he's not in the trilogy mm-hmm. and kind of a prequel, much like yours. Like I kind of want to know how he got wrapped up in the whole family and like what, what the, what that story was, what mob dealings led Tom orphan Tom to the Corleone family. Cause they don't really ever really go into it other than like just a throwaway line from Michael to K. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of want to know what that is and how he ends up being essentially the number two to, to Don Vito. Right. I think there's some there's some ground to play with with that and maybe that could work as kind of episodic you know like a limited series television run. Oh, yeah. there, there might that that might be something there. But if it was a little film as well. Speaking of which, years ago we did a, a shot a Minnesota episode on uh, the best films never made. Yeah, and we did I think spent a decent amount of time talking about Francis Ford Coppola's Megalopolis. Mm-hmm. The guy made the movie and it's it's finished shooting. Like this thing's actually going to come out. Really? Yeah. Adam Driver's the lead in it, and yeah, they 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 shot all through the winter and early spring in New York. I never thought that 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 project would ever see the light of day, but wow, call it his magnum opus, the film he's always wanted to make. It's going to come out sometime next year. So, man, what if that's a steaming pile of mess? Uh, it could be. <laughs> Adam Driver might save it though. Yeah, solid. Mm-hmm. Good choice. Thank you. I like that. Uh, for number two, I'm going to go to the West, and I'm going to go to a particular number of a seven that might be part of the Magnificent Seven for a character that I don't, or an actor I don't think we've ever brought up on the show before. Mr. James Coburn mm. as Brit. In that film, he's the knife thrower that's donned in black the whole time and gangly as the day is long. Uh, there's a story there. If you're a knife thrower and that's your specialty in the Old West and you've survived and are as savvy with the violence that perpetrates the West as Brit seems to be in that film. There's many a story. Now the Magnificent seven has many different backstories that I'd like to delve into. We could do the O'Reilly character with Charles Bronson as well, but I want James Coburn as Brit. And honestly, I don't think we get enough of him in the film. Yeah. 
And he, uh, he dies too, right? Pretty early. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, spoiler alert for a 50-year-old movie. Yeah, if you're spoiling a 50-year-old Magnificent <laughs> 7 and you haven't seen it, that's more on them than it is us. Yeah, uh, yeah. so I want to see Brit in his early misadventures to get where he is now. I don't think we've talked about James Coburn. That's, that's kind of that's slightly sinful. You know, we'll, we'll be forgiven in the movie podcast afterlife. Uh, I did actually watch a James Coburn movie this this last week. Have you what? Ever, have you ever seen Looker? 1981, Michael <laughs> Crichton, uh, Albert Finney's the lead in that. And it's uh, a, a, like a company, it's a sci-fi action thing where... Albert Finney's a plastic surgeon and he, all these models come to him so he can like make them over to be even like more perfect. Mm. And then they go to this company that makes commercials and advertisements. Uh, and then this company just kind of makes like a digital, like computer scan of them. Mm -hmm. That way they have that data and then they just go make the commercials without the models. And then they're killing off the models on the side. Interesting. It's kind of like a murder mystery, but he's the, the kind of the guy running the corporation. Yeah. I would say he's probably not the good guy. Yeah. I watched something this week in addition to Renfield. Mm. Man with the Golden Arm. I thought you were going to say Man with the Golden Gun. I was like, oh, man, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't seen it in a long time, and I actually don't know, having gone through it, if I'd ever seen the film beginning to end. One, This is not that podcast. So I don't want to go down this road, and we're yeah. in the middle of the flight. But I'm stunned that they made that movie in 1955. And it is as frank as it is, well, Preminger, right? Mm -hmm. So you start to understand where Preminger and, and Sinatra begin their career together. But... It's a rough film, man. A tough territory. Very tough and pretty unapologetic. And I'll never watch a Christmas story the same way again. <laughs> Did you? What was it on? Um, it was a taped showing that my father-in-law had recorded on the DVD from Turner. Oh, okay. Nice. That's 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 a nice dive there. I'll, I'll have to find that because I don't think I've I've seen pieces of that. Oh. I don't think I've seen the whole thing. Kim Novak's really good in that film. Okay. The whole movie's really good, but uh, it's it's rough. That's rough. Excellent. Well, there's two recommends to go check out in the in, the, in between, right? Yep. Number one. My number one, I too am going to go to the wild, wild west uh, for this one. And I think I kind of want a prequel. I don't know, maybe something afterwards as well. But there's a lot to get into with this guy. I'm going to go with Tuco from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Uh I doubt we could get Eli Wallach because he's since passed, right? But has that character become who he is in that film? And then what is he like after that, after he gets, spoiler alert, stiffed out of the gold, right, and nearly killed? Mm -hmm. uh, kind of a loose cannon, wild card, rogue, anti-hero, even more anti-hero than Blondie, right? Yeah. I want to know a little bit more about that guy. And I think in a kind of a fertile spaghetti western background, I think you could have some fun with that character swiddling people left and right. Mm -hmm. That feels like a con movie, Jesse in the old West. And I think that's right up my alley, your alley. Yeah. Whose alley is that? Not up. Yeah. Good choice. Thank you. Tuco. I'd kick the tires on angel eyes for a brief second, but I didn't think about Tuco. That's mm -hmm. a good one. Yeah. Love it. Well, I'm staying in the old West for this too. Okay. And I'm going to go with an ex football player. Okay. Who plays my favorite sidekick of all time. The guy that you have to have behind your back. That's Mr. Woody Strode as Pompey and the man who shot Liberty Valance. What I want to see is how he got to know Tom Donovan and what adventures the two of them have been through. If I'm ever in a, a foxhole, rabbit hole, any kind of a hole, I want Pompey by my side. Um, super capable, very strong, dead eye. Uh, 
And Woody Strode is so, un- again, another guy we haven't talked about on the show. Maybe, well, that's maybe that's not true. But we did when we did that movie, right? Yeah, so yeah. that. Really, really unrefined and I think in a lot of ways lost in some of the terrific roles that he had. Uh, but yeah, that's what it, give me Pompey. Great choice. Thanks, man. Going back to the, yeah, the, so the West has some fertile ground for sidekick characters that, you know, there's stuff to be told there. It's the genre we've been the weakest on in these four years mm. is the West. I think in, if you take the vast branch or expanse of all the films we've done, there's no more than three that in that three is a t- like a stretch three. I kind of liked how we did it when we did Western four ways, right? Which was yeah, yeah, yeah. traditional. Yep. Eastern influence. Yep. Uh, fuck, what was the third film we did in that one? New? Science fiction. Well, we definitely did Hell or High Water, right? Yep. There was another one in there. I'll have to I'll have to look at it. Yojimbo. We did Hell or High Water, Yojimbo. Do we do Yojimbo? No, we did uh it was uh Throne of Blood. Throne of Blood, that's right. I'll look it up real quickly. But yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, that's I think a, a genre we will return to and Kind of see, you know, what else? Because there's just too much to talk about. I mean, there's a high noon out there. We got to talk about the searchers. We got to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Midnight Cowboy was the other one. There you go. Kind of a cool cast, right? I it mean, was. so we, I mean, we could find a way to do that again. But uh, any honorable mentions for you? Oh, yeah, but it's not anything that I'd brought up. I'd like to see. Um, Minnesota Fats. I'd like to see that story from The Hustler. Uh, and I think I'd like to see that story after The Hustler. Mm. It kind of feel like when Fast Eddie Felsen middle fingers the whole billiard society. If Fats wants his freedom, he could have it. But then the question is, does Fats have anything else that he can do besides play pool? Play pool. Yeah. So I wouldn't mind that one. Mm. The other one, too, for sidekicks. And again, this is also a little tough because it's hard to say is the sidekick or is this the character in the movie? And it's another familiar, but I want to jump ahead 25 years and let the right one in and mm. see what's happened to Oscar and Ely specifically Oscar. Yeah. Has she turned him or has he turned him? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Yeah. Cause it doesn't do you any good if you turn because then there's no protection during the day. Did you do the, the the revival show on Showtime at all? Like that kind of just kind of came and went. Yeah, I forgot all about it till you mentioned it. No, yeah. did you? Mm-mm. Yeah. Any honorable mentions for you? I know there's a couple. In yeah, there. there was one for sure. Just because she steals the entire movie in both films of this. If you give me like a solo film on Hit Girl from Kick Ass, oh, that's a good one. Uh, I think she could carry it. Mindy McCready. Uh, speaking of. Islanders, she's a huge uh, Islanders fan. Huge Islanders yeah. fan. Her and Ralph Macchio. But uh, yeah, like she just she's such a badass. But then her story's really interesting too, and like wanting to fight crime, but they kind of have to reel her in a little bit, right? She's a little too extreme. Yep. Uh, that second Kickass movie is a little, you know, a lot to be desired. But that first one, I think, is pretty good. So how does McLovin come up twice in the same oh, podcast yeah, he's, today? Yeah, he's the Red Mist. The Red Mist. <laughs> What's that guy's name? Christopher Mintz Plassey. There you go. Yeah. And speaking of which, he also plays a Dracula familiar in the Fright Night remake. He's the evil Ed. Jesus Christ, three times. Mm -hmm. Moving to the um, Paul Verhoeven territory all of a sudden. Just about. Here's to your list. Yeah, to your list. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. I really liked liked that conversation uh, when when you sent it. I was just like, oh, that's pretty good. Just what sidekicks are deserving of the Renfield treatment, but... 
Let's see how that fared for Mr. Renfield with our review breakdown of Renfield. Mm -hmm. Sorry to interrupt. Are you okay? I need to get out of a toxic relationship. Why don't you start by telling us what brought you here? My boss, he's different. You can't get him out of your head. No. I need your assistance. I'm coming, Martha! Oh, you feel like he could destroy you with the snap of his fingers. Wouldn't even need to snap. Okay. Uh-huh, that sounds familiar. Yeah, what? Renfield. Bringing innocent victims. I want a handful of nuns, a busload of cheerleaders. And I just want a normal life again. But this modern world is a dangerous place. Alrighty, before we get started, you know, we've talked about this just briefly, but, you know, we heard about this film, I think, last year, probably around the time we were doing the Nicolas Cage cast, right? Yeah. Rumors that, you know, they're making a Renfield movie, so that, that instantly got us excited, and then we heard... Cage is going to play Dracula, which we're like, ooh, that's kind of interesting. Like, what, what kind of direction are they going to take that? And then that first trailer came out, and we were just both kind of like, uh, I guess, right? The trailer from what that sounds from. Uh, so what was your expectations uh, going into this? Were you a little trepidatious, a little nervous of... And kind of an important character and an important space that, you know, we've been hard on in the past and something we want to see succeed, which is this universal monster verse, whatever the hell they want to do with it, right? I ran a full gauntlet of expectations. On, on the initial announcement, I was super fired up because I think we both really care about this character. That's why there's a cask that we're doing right now. So there's mm -hmm. the evidence. When it was announced that Cage was in there, I don't want to give too much away here, but... Mm -hmm. Even if I didn't recognize it at the time, because I haven't thought about Nicolas Cage in much depth prior to that. I've thought about him a lot now, especially after the Nicolas Cage cask that we did. The Cage cask? I, I think my initial response was, oh no, oh no. Because he's making really cheap movies because he needs money and he's just looking for a gig. And then the first trailer came out and I realized, oh my God, this is sort of schlock comedy, action horror comedy. Mm -hmm. Why are they doing that? And I wanted a straight take. Yeah. I wanted a straight, dare I say, drama? Yeah. Drama horror? Is that a, I guess Dracula is a drama horror, really. Mm -hmm. Or horror drama, if you like that way better. Um, so my expectations were, we talked about it. Maybe it was off mic. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my God, what are they doing? Yeah. I can't believe they're setting it in contemporary America or contemporary anytime. Yeah. And then I saw the second turn. And I'm like, okay, well, if we're going to go, that's pretty hard-hitting action. Um, so I think by the time, like an, upon announcement, probably like nine on a scale of one to 10, after the first trailer and my thoughts on Cage, especially after the cast, probably like four. Mm -hmm. Second trailer probably brought me to like six and a half, maybe seven. How about you? Definitely excited for the project. I liked Cage's involvement. Because you know, we probably differed a little bit. You know, like I kind of like when Cage go really goes, yeah, you do. goes for it. Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, that first trailer... Really bad. I want to mm -hmm. call it out. It's kind of a terrible trailer. Yeah. I don't think it sells the movie really well. It kind of sells it off as kind of like just jokey, quippy type of type of thing and definitely didn't sell the brutality that I think this film like kind of brings in spades in moments. Uh, 
So yeah, going in, I was like, yeah, this, let's see how enjoyable this is. And I got to tell you, I was like, there's some stuff in this movie that's really, really interesting. Yeah. Story beats and stuff. And then the action elements, I can't wait, you know, to talk about it, but I just cat out of the bag, you know, before we get into it, I was kind of thoroughly surprisingly blown away by this, this, this thing in kind of an enjoyable fashion. And it, I liked it that it was kind of this action vehicle, horror comedy hybrid yeah, and I know it sounds like we're being a dead horse at this time, but it, like it wasn't like a superhero thing, right? It was just kind of like set in this like mm-hmm. horror vampire space that is paying homage to the universal monsters of the past. I was kind of on board. I kind of had I kind of had a great time watching this thing. No oh, good. And there's there, there's some some moments I'm going to highlight some some just jokes that they say that man they had me in stitches. Just some lines of dialogue, and then there's some stuff in the film that doesn't work as well for me. And I'm sure we'll get into a little bit of that, but. Let's talk about this opening because it's, I think, pretty inventive. Yeah. Uh, so Renfield shows up to these, like, this abusers anonymous group or yeah. dependents anonymous or whatever, whatever they, they, they it's called. And kind of like the narrator in Fight Club, right? I mean, he kind of goes there to kind of, like, make himself feel better about his current predicament and uh, master-servant relationship, right? Yeah. But I think in a clever way that we're about to find in a little bit, he kind of uses uses this in a very Dexter-like way as a mm. means to find food for his master. I like that. Right? Yeah. Like removing kind of the scum from the, these horrible people's lives. I thought that was pretty clever. Yeah. But then he has a little bit of a voiceover sometimes in this film. And the first thing we get is, well, let me go back to the beginning and show you. And they, in a cool, yeah. uh, you Flashback. know... A flashback, uh, CGI removal. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put them in the the Dwight Fry and Bela Lugosi parts of the original Dracula. I thought that was that was really good, genius. Yeah, watching them play out those sequence on Dracula's castle on the staircase where Dracula walks through the spider webs, and yeah. then Harry Nicholas Holt in that iconic moment when we see him down the ladders in the hole of the he got ship. to do he got to do he the, gets laugh. the laugh. Yeah, gets another laugh later on at Renfield mm-hmm. that he nails too. Um, there was a couple moments in that little flashback scene where he kind of looked a little Dwight Fry like. Yeah. I mean, they, they kind of got the angle just right. They almost got to the part that I like too, which is the vamping of the nurse on the floor. They mm-hmm. rolled right up to it and kind of faded out before, but yeah. uh, all done in black and white, shot, shot for shot, same sequence, same dialogue, same lines, just with those guys in the roles of Fry and Lugosi. Yeah. Loved it. Favorite part of the movie. Cool opening, right? And, uh, you know, I guess when you're, you're making the movie through Universal, I mean, you have access to that entire library of films. So if you're just like, hey, we want to use footage from this film, I mean, you don't have to pay anything for it. It's just there for you to use. You That's just right. have to just credit it at the end. Yep. So I thought, yeah, I thought that was pretty clever. Uh, and, yeah, it kind of takes us up to present time. And, you know, like, yeah, we went to London. We went on, I like he says, like, we went... We went on a boat adventure across the ocean. The, the ship is just tur- churning, and these guys are trying to control the ship. Also, that the, the, the this film coming out, the last voyage of the, the Demeter. Demeter? Mm-hmm. Are you gonna? Are we seeing that? I are think we gonna we, cover that? I think we got. I don't know if we'll cover it. We definitely have to see it. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we'll cover yeah. it. Yeah. That movie's coming out of nowhere. I haven't even heard of that thing. It's July, right? Yeah, I think July. Yeah, midsummer. Yeah. What a weird time to release that film. I'm kind of on board with that. I thought mm-hmm. that sounded like a cool idea, just like Haunted House on the open seas yep. as this vamp stalks them the whole journey, right? 
defeats the question is just leave the house. Why don't you just leave the house? Jump off the boat? You can jump off can't the boat. Jump right? off the boat. Uh-uh. Yeah, I'm curious about that and kind of how that ties into Universal's monster plans or whatever. It's funny you brought that up. When I saw that trailer and we talked about it a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. my first thought I told Denise, I said, Jesse's going to love that film. She said, Really? He likes vampires? I said, yeah, he likes vampires, but he likes I'm stuck and I can't get out. Yeah. He loves that. Mm-hmm. And on a boat, we hadn't, re- we haven't really seen that. Yeah. We haven't, there's been a few horror stories that have taken place on boats. But dead calm, dead calm. Yeah. And then what's that one where that the line goes through the people on oh, the ghost ship, ghost ship. Thank you. Yeah. It's you great. mentioned the one scene that everyone remembers from that movie. Yeah. Kind of a forgettable film, but that was awesome. Great scene. Great opening. Yeah. Yeah, man. They can't, unless you're going to swim, mm-hmm. I'll take my chances with Dracula, I guess. It's and it's cool. a very Max Shrek looking Dracula. Mm-hmm. This isn't, you know, this is the more bat Gary Oldman in Francis Ford Coppola's yeah, looking Dracula. But inspired by Stoker's novel, right? I mean, this yeah. is that that journey to London. We got this crazy cargo. I don't think we we've just never seen it from the perspective of the shipmates. It's always just been from Dracula and Harker, or not, not Harker. They he leaves behind. Mm-hmm. Dracula makes that that trip solo. So I guess Renfield's in this film. Maybe, or maybe it's just a box of dirt with the vampire in it, in it, and he comes out to feast at night. So cool. I'm curious, and just like I knew no one in that movie. Uh, one of the people looked familiar, but it's kind of like just a new, fresh surprise. So, yeah, I think, yeah, we'll have to check that out. Yeah, that snuck up on both of us. Yeah, I mean, cool. Well, back to Renfield. So, you know, he tells this story of, you know, how, how the, you know, we went from there and, you know, through the times and they've tried to kill us time and time again. Uh, and then we kind of catch up with, you know, modern times as this vampire hunter's trying to van- kill, kill the Dracula, right? Yeah. You know, Renfield comes in, you know, at the last, you know, and I think the vampire killer tells Renfield something pretty good, which is like, if you let him die, you get to be free, right? You don't have to suffer under his thing. And, you know, this power that Dracula has over Renfield is so overwhelming for him. I mean, he sees the plight and he's able to to prey on how just vulnerable Renfield is, right? Yeah. He knows just how to just pull those strings. And so, you know, he slides, you know, uh, a shoe under there, which kind of breaks this seal, right? This plane from the mortal world and i gotta tell you i didn't see this coming at all but it, dracula turns into but a mist and goes into this priest's mouth and Boom. just eviscerates him thought that was pretty cool <laughs> it was pretty cool and they're not going to pull their punches with just how devastatingly violent and angry dracula is mm-hmm. there's the piece of vampire that is i need you alive because it's better to feast on live blood than it is dead blood that's that's a rule mm-hmm. this movie really is about I'm going to just thrash you nincompoops, those lesser than valuable to feed on idiots in a lot of sequences in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a lot of slashing, a lot of disemboweling, a lot is. of it's a, yeah, sli- yeah. limb cutting, mm-hmm. decapitation. It's a different type of vamp action. I don't know if other than like Blade, but you know, Blade has, you know, swords and guns and stuff. I don't think I've ever really seen it like this before. No, me either. So kind of a unique take on it for sure. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that brings him, is like, so our journey is, you know, we go, what, what does he tell him? He's like, we go city to city uh, until, we, you know, we have to move on to the next one. And I just kind of keep this ruse going until, you know, it's just time to move on, right? So, you know, Renfield's kind of, it's almost like this eight to five day job that he has that he's just done with. Yep. Mentally, he's up to here with it. And so they've settled in New Orleans. And then we catch back up to him with this support group. And, you know, these people are telling some just, like, these horrific stories and just all the, like, they're abusers and, <coughs> excuse me, 
I really like this kind of bit that they did on the ska music. You're like, what the fuck is this ska music? I, I hadn't thought about that genre of music in about 12 years. Yeah. Uh, and so he's like, and then he listens, oh, gosh, like, he's awful. So, you know, Renfield's like, well, perfect. You like ska, don't you? No, I don't. Oh, I do. Do you? I do. Yeah? I do. It's a little too... Punk? Bouncy for me. Like, it's just a little too... It's the the the, the kind of ebbs and flows of that particular style of music where I would much prefer a reggae and a jazz, but then maybe not, like, sort of combined. Mm. I think the police, as a group, found, like, the perfect balance of those styles. Zendaya Mandata. Yeah. And that is kind of like a predecessor to ska, but like it still feels really grounded in in rock music, yeah, and maybe more jazz than rock at at times too. So, Pie Tasters, the Mighty Mighty Boss Tone. Oh gosh, yeah, that band. Yeah, yeah, they have a couple songs I like, but I just I don't I don't seek it out. Okay, yeah, it's it's dead, 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 dead as a doornail. Yeah, yeah, that was like an early aughts, right? Yeah. Just like type of music. So Renfield's like, well, perfect. I got, you know, I'm going to, I got the guys. I'm, I'm going to go after her abuser, right? This, you know, this horrible person. He's kind of a drug dealer or like a D-list drug dealer. Mm-hmm. And so he shows up at the at this thing and these guys are terrified of him because he just comes in. Like, I like that his like weapon of choice is just this cloth, which is just what he uses to chloroform. Yeah. And then almost like a superhero. I mean, they kind of give him a couple things. Like I knew, you know, Chekhov's cockroach. You know, I was like, there's going to be a scene in this film where he needs to Renfield out mm-hmm. and he's going to be like scrounging around for a bug of some sort. And and we get that scene a little bit later where he's like gurgling down the ant farm, right? Yeah. I was like, that scene is going to happen like, and kind of cool, right? He's got a little pouch of spiders and roaches and yeah. he pops one like a little Altoid. <laughs> and then he Renfields out into kind of like almost like super being, right? Yep. And yeah. that gives him like super kung fu powers. Like I don't know, I can't explain it at that point, but it's he's pretty badass. One of the things that's also brought up when Renfield is in semi vampire mode. Yeah, I mm, quote me if I'm, I'm yeah. correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think the portion of Dracula that he retains of Dracula's ability is somewhere in the neighborhood of five to ten percent. So if that's the case. And Renfield, and even if it's not defined numerically, five to ten percent, but a small, small portion of Dracula's might, then without having to spend the time teaching us about all the damage that Dracula can inflict, if Renfield wipes out anybody that messes with him like that, oh my god, what's the Prince of Death? Yeah, what's Dracula gonna do? Holy shit! Yeah, so. That's a great way to build a villain without having to spend the time watching you build a villain when he's not when it's not his film. Yeah, and then the film is essentially him trying to get back to that state of power, right? Because mm-hmm. he, in that scene with the vampire hunters, they draw the shades, and he like is essentially almost melted down. Yeah, and he's just a he's just a a charcoal mess. And he's like, "Hey, are you okay?" And he's like, "Yeah." Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he looks awful. Mm-hmm. So then the next time we see him, I mean, he looks terrible. He's like just rotting flesh, like jiggly flesh. Yeah. Uh, but then this other guy, so then we introduce this interesting, like, subplot of this film, which is this kind of, like, drug cartel family thing. Yeah. Uh, and this, you know, this abuser, this D, D-level drug dealer is kind of involved, and they think that they got a hit on them and that it was Renfield, and it's not. It's this other family that's coming because they stole their drugs, right? Mm-hmm. And then this hitman guy comes in, uh, right out of a Resident Evil video game, this guy. And him and Renfield kind of go at it pretty good. And uh, he looks like a formidable opponent, but 
Renfield cuts his head off and then throws it at like the guy's like the sports car because he's sitting out there waiting for the the job to be completed. This right. little uh the this this cheese dig. We'll talk about him in just a second. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. It was just like, look, look at Renfield kind of just showing he can kind of take on anybody. Maybe this is someone we should be afraid about. Uh, and, yeah, he just lopped this guy's head off, this pretty gruesome guy. And Renfield has his catch. He's got four guys now, right? Mm-hmm. And he's got a plenty to go take back to Dracula for him to go feast feast on. Finish his recovery. Healing. Yeah. Where do you want to go first? Do you want to go uh, with the Lobo family, or do you want to go back to the hospital with Dracula first? Let's say with the Lobos. Okay. You brought up the D-list son, so let's stick with them. Yeah. This guy, Ben Schwartz, uh, he played a pretty, uh, he played a cheese dick of a character on Parks and Rec called John Ralphio. He's, he was hilarious on that show. Mm. And people will know him best. He's the voice of Sonic the Hedgehog in uh, these two Sonic films that they've made. Uh, but I like that kind of character where he kind of plays, you just badder than bad, but he's just really just like so wimpish at the end yeah. of the day. Just mm-hmm. like, he's just so pathetic. And, you know, he goes through this DUI, you know, checkpoint and he's just got like a, like a mountain of cocaine in his passenger seat. And so then we're introduced to Aquafina, who's this, you know, just, uh, oh God, I'll, I'll look up her name real quick, but they're, they're running, uh, this beat, uh, right here. Quincy named after Quincy from the Dracula films. Her name's Quincy. Rebecca Quincy. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. And so she recognizes him instantly. And so as an audience, we're just like, well, it's like, how does she know that right away? And that's all going to kind of come into the fold here. But, you know, he foolishly tries to get out of this thing, and then he's running on foot with the cocaine. I love the one line, again, that I loved in this film, where he's running with the cocaine, and I have a prescription for this stuff. <laughs> yeah. So stupid, but yeah. it, that works for me. And he's throwing bricks of cocaine. He throws one in the other cop's face. It, like, explodes on his face. Yeah. Uh, but they take him down, and for this Rebecca, this is big time for her. As we're about to find out, you know, she's some low-level traffic cop, in the New Orleans Police Department, and this Lobo family uh, is pretty heavy into drugs here in the scene and were responsible for her dad's death, who was also a cop, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. They got his picture memorialized on the wall, but she's almost like department pariah, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they kind of hate her. They probably hate what she represents. We're about to find out they're all being paid under the table, right? But kind of an admirable thing of like, I'm going to become a cop so I can, you know, bring down the people that, you know, killed were responsible for my dad's death and everyone's kind of against me. So I guess I just, I got to do a little at a time and he keeps slipping through my fingers. I got to say this, you know, I thought this was an interesting plot line. I don't know if it fits into a movie about Renfield, but I was pretty invested in this little plot line too. And I was kind of, I was kind of wondering where's this going to go. And like, and then the sister's an FBI agent, right? Mm-hmm. So she has an ally there, and stuff ain't ain't so good there. But I'm liking it. But I'm like, ah, just I don't know if it fits into this movie. But I, I'm okay to go with it because it, it presents an interesting investigation angle of how she's going to slowly uncover the clues of this vampire assailant, which is Renfield, right? I'll give them credit on this for as much damage and carnage we see Renfield bestow on humanity you have to, at some points, handle the cop situation. Mm-hmm. We talk about that, right, in horror. Sooner or later, we got to get the cop there, and maybe it's just fodder, but we have to, because <coughs> if you don't, the suspension of disbelief is just too vast. Okay, so with as many people are being torn limb from limb as we see in this film, the cops have to come in somehow. Give them credit. Make that story meaningful and worthwhile, and give her the vengeance of her father, or at least an interesting 
external conflict to sort of take down, which would be directly the Lobos family. Yeah. Add to that then what seems to be, mm, dare I say, an interest, physical interest from Renfield in her. I mean, we see him remake himself over as Pastel Easter Man. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> Pastel Easter Man, that's good. Right? <laughs> to try to impress her instead of wearing his very, very tattered suit from Carfax Abbey or wherever the hell we last saw him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that they do a good job of giving Aquafina detective, inspector, cop, Quigley, Quincy, sorry, mm-hmm. something to do that matters in the film other than just sort of aimlessly walk around from carnage site to carnage site, not believing what they're seeing, even though there's plenty of evidence that there's a serial killer here. Not just that time of year. Sometimes I see bears tear people up like this. No, yeah. Ooh, she's so give him credit. And, uh, you know, she has a few clues where she can kind of kind of act on them. I mean, this pen that was left at this crime scene, this bloody pen that we're going to trace to this restaurant, which is going to kind of set up the next scene coming up. Yeah. But then later when she was like, sis, I need you to analyze this for any type of DNA because I don't trust anybody in my department. I knew I was like, it's going to come back with like the person's DNA on this is 120 years old. Like this is an old person and it's, it's this Renfield. So I knew that's how they were going to find out mm-hmm. that Renfield was who he was. I thought that was kind of a cool way uh, to kind of discover, you know, that he's really this vampire familiar from the 19 early thirties. Right. Robert Montesquieu Renfield. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if we knew that was his full name. I, I didn't think R- his first M- name was RM Renfield, but I don't know if we ever knew the full thing. Right. Again, if that's being defined, good job. What you're showing us is Renfield's position in society prior to meeting Dracula being a little less displaced or misbegotten as we see a sub Dwight Fry play in the original Dracula. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a climber. Yeah. I like that he's this ambitious real estate agent, 120 years old, that's trying to sign off on this really, and he knew it, dangerous deal because the payday for his family is such that maybe they never have to work again or they're set for the rest of their lives. Well, that part was great. That was great. And we'll get, I'm way ahead of the story here, but yeah. what we're building with all of these characters is, and what's a really comedically comic booky violent film is depth to these characters that honestly a lot of not, and I'm doing quotes, not B movies or B characters yeah. could go to school on Marvel. Mm-hmm. How to build backstory that doesn't feel so forced, so shoehorned in, so pigeonholed, so contrived. Really, really well done. I think this would be a fun movie to write just because, you know, Heck other yeah, than other be. than what Stoker provided in the text and what Todd Browning and crew did in the early 30s, you know, the Renfield backstory pathos of his char- what's driving his character is up for interpretation. Sure. Like, what does that look like? I mean, I didn't know he had a wife and a kid, but that makes him more interesting. And I think a little bit more tragic of, well, shit, he got vamped there and they eventually died. They never knew what happened to him. Tragic, sad. Just disappeared. And and then he went because he had a lucrative real estate deal. Right. I mean, it's, that's admirable of why he was trying to do it. And then just time caught up to him and his family moved on, died. And then he's still here in his young self, a man at a time doing the, the dark Lord's uh, dry cleaning, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Feeding habits and dry cleaning habits. I like this. Uh, so they're in kind of like an abandoned hospital, like old, old hospital mental ward or whatever. 
it's gross and green and rusty. And I don't know how they did it, but like, I'm just going to call it the blood transfusion throne. It's like this yeah. throne where like all these blood bags are like literally veined up for Dracula. So, so he can like regenerate his, his life force. Right. Mm-hmm. Post burn. That looked cool. Yeah. Like I'd never seen something like that before. And then when Dracula finally comes in, Nicholas Cage, all the, all decrepit, man, I'm telling you, he looks bad. Yeah. The makeup was pretty good at, at this point too, of just kind of showing just he's there, but he's not quite there yet. Mm-hmm. And then he, he, you know, he like, like a horrible boss. He gives Renfield hell or just like, yeah, you're doing your job right, but you're bringing me back shit. He's bringing him all these guys with drug in their veins and everything. And so he's not really getting the nutrients that he needs, right? Right. Does he tell him, I need nuns, I need happy couples, I need tourists, I need nuns, and I need a bus full of cheerleaders. Cheerleaders. Innocent happiness. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about that. Okay. We've talked about humanizing bad guys. And one way you can do it with vampires is have them feed in a Dexter way on people that are even worse than they identified serial killer or villain. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's something there like, yeah, Dracula sucks, but that guy sucks even more. So go kill that rapist or this, whoever this bad guy is. Mm -hmm. But what about feeding on the blood of the joyous? What is that like? Yeah. Because now if you play into the euphoric bit that might be coursing through the veins of said happy couple or overwritten with teenage spirit and angst and smelling like teenage spirit cheerleaders, virginity, if there's any of those left that are cheerleaders, that's a joke. I'm just kidding, but you know what I'm getting (laughs) at? Yeah. Right. That's a whole different thing because maybe that euphoria is also intoxicating and drives Dracula to an addictive state. Like, you can always go feed on the homeless guy in the corner mm-hmm. that's panhandling. He's got heroin in his veins. It could be the equivalent, too, of like, oh, I like man. That. It could be like, oh, man, these, you're bringing me Del Taco. <laughs> I want to go to Ruth Chris. You need to bring me Ruth Chris Steakhouse, okay. right? Very, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. They're both going to fill you up. Yeah. But one of them is significantly better. Yeah. Del Taco. Yeah. <laughs> Guacamole. No way. No way. Uh, yeah, so something like that, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, I don't know. we've never seen like kind of like the equivalent of what that means before. Like you're bringing me human filth, and the movie doesn't really get into that. But he does prefer. He at least admits he prefers the joyous, pure. Yeah, a little pure. more pure, right? Interesting. Pretty interesting. Yeah, and this is our first kind of like in scene. I mean, he's shown up a few times. So we got Nicolas Cage here as Count Dracula. Uh, he's under a lot of makeup and I got to tell you, uh, I think he does a pretty decent job here and you know, because he has so much makeup on him right now, I think you need someone that's animated like Nicholas Cage to kind of bring this to life a little bit. It could just be a guy that disappears behind all this latex and just gruesomeness. He kind of brings forth a little personality and, uh, some of that humor, but then there's a couple times in this film where Cage turns on a dime and he's like, Oh no, he means business. He's showing those teeth, and I kind of like how his teeth look in this film. Mm-hmm. Where he's kind of meant not to be trifled with. And so I think he walks that line pretty good. Uh, as the film goes on, you know, he definitely gets more ridiculous. Uh, and in my opinion, I think he could have went a little more with the ridiculous. But I think having him in the makeup, I think, you know, someone else might just, you know, disappear behind it and kind of get lost to the character. Okay. Yeah. Let's... I don't know how I feel about this. We talked about this on the phone a little bit. I can't decide if we take 
Dwight Fry's role as Renfield in the original Dracula. We made the case last week, I think, to each other at yeah. least, if anyone listened, I'm sure they did. But, you know, mm-hmm. that he kind of comes in and sort of steals the movie from Bela Lugosi. Mm-hmm. He stole the movie from Bela Lugosi in such a manner that for the better part of almost 100 years, people have had questions and interest in Dwight Fry as Renfield, from Alice Cooper to the cinephiles to... Who's that weird guy laughing down at the bottom of that ship at the, at the base of the ladder? Mm-hmm. If you make that movie about him, I think you quell that hunger <laughs> for the character. But then when you cast Cage opposite him, I can't decide if Nicolas Cage is so cagey in a role that will allow him to take it to the sublime, to the absurd, to the ridiculous. Mm-hmm that he steals the film back from the character that originally stole the film from him. (laughs) But here's the difference. If my answer to that is yes, I like Fry stealing the film from Lugosi. Mm -hmm. I don't know, sitting here before you, if I like Cage trying to steal the film from Holt. Yeah. And so some of this is, I'm, I'm admitting this to you. Yeah. I can't say I'm never going to watch a Nicolas Cage film before, but I'm kind of caged out. Yeah. I just don't think I like him anymore. I don't think I like him anymore. Yeah. And giving him the chops, the role, the fangs mm-hmm. to play Dracula and run with it. Go do it. I understand it because in that movie, it makes sense. You don't want someone, we don't want Fastbender who's can underplay it. Well. I mean, I'll watch. I would too, but you know what I mean? Fastbender play Dracula would be pretty great, but kind of actually, I just sort of made that up. It would be good, but yeah. You kind of want a guy that's going to kind of take it somewhere. Because you have to either do it the Lugosi style, which is very formal and erect and regal. Yeah. Or you have to go this other way, which is shark jumping 101. Mm -hmm. 400, not 101, 400 level jump to shark. For the type of film they're making, I think this might be the way to go, right? With the kind of crazy violent sequences they have and just the sort of absurdity and the, as much as I love it. And I love that he's, in this abusers anonymous group to try to figure out how he can get away from this supernatural being that is all powerful. But when you give Dracula enough cheerleaders and happy couples to devise his plan, (laughs) which is to eat all of humanity, literally to eat all of humanity and take over the world. His map of domination. Yes. That was pretty good. Pretty damn funny. He's doing what we have hated, right? I'm going to eat everyone and then rule the world over their corpses. World domination. Yeah. Love that. That's absurd. Dracula can't do that. Mm-hmm. He can't even fo- function half the day because yeah. it's sunlight. Yeah. So the point I was making is I'm not sure where I am with that. It works. Uh, he's as powerful. And because Renfield, because Renfield's sort of an understated character, the way we know Renfield to be and what he was presented by Friday as in 1931, he's still understated except when he eats the bug and then he becomes superhero. Yeah. Cage gets to show up as Dracula and gets to be persona larger than the screen. Yeah. And so there's this dueling competition for the film. Absolutely. I think the, you know, the podcast for us has been, you know, interesting movie therapeutic and revel- mm. revelatory. Mm. Good uh, word. Because, you know, I think it's revealed a lot about what you like and don't like about Nicolas Cage's style of acting. 
I think it was very enlightening for us on the entire Conjuring franchise. Oh, yeah. Uh, and on the vice versa, I think, you know, it warmed us up to E.T. the Extraterrestrial more than I ever thought we would ever kind of come around to that. So We love the Conjuring. Actually, yeah. no, we don't. I don't think we do anymore. E.T. fucking sucks. Yeah. No, it's genius, kind actually. Kind of a pretty good movie. Kind of, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I like that this format presents a di di different discoveries of, you know, how we're interpreting a lot of material. Uh yeah, I'm with you. I'm 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 with you on 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 some of that. Uh, I thought a lot about Nicholas Holt while I was watching this film in this kind of like almost career that he has almost had several times. Right? What's the last thing we saw him in? The Beast as the Beast and well, he Hogan's? was in a bunch of the X Men films. Uh, he played J.R.R. Tolkien in that very forgettable Tolkien biopic movie. Oh, I never saw that. Uh, and God, they, uh, I didn't know they made that movie. Yeah, they did. Yeah, was it called Tolkien? Yeah, and they shouldn't have made that movie. Uh, but he was one of the, he was in the, it was down to him and Pattinson for the role of Batman in this last Batman film. And when I was watching the movie, uh, those two guys are kind of interchangeable, yeah. like pale, pasty, square jawed in guy. Tall. Tall. He could have played Batman in this Matt Reeves version of Batman. And this could be Robert Pattinson in this movie, right? Interesting. Wow. But I kind of thought Pattinson was, in this film yeah. with the Twilight legacy behind him to play Renfield might have been genius. That, did he really, did he screen for it? I don't think so. No, oh, okay. that would have been interesting. Yeah. And then watching, you know, you know, you want to talk about good combos on screen. Him and Willem Dafoe together in the lighthouse is amazing. Mm -hmm. Dude, get Willem Dafoe with Dracula in this thing. This might be pretty good, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I was thinking a lot about just Nicholas Holden. I think he still holds his own. I think well, he's Defoe's got, played a vampire before. Yeah, Shadow of the Vampire, right? right? Yeah, Where yeah. he's playing the the, Shrek. the real life Max Shrek, mm -hmm. right? That's a crazy movie. Yeah. Uh, and Willem Dafoe's going to be in Robert Eggers' Nosferatu remake coming out next year. So this circle is becoming all too cylindrical, my yeah, friend. Yeah, exactly. Two degrees of separation. Yep. You don't even need Kevin Bacon here. I mean, we, we, he's right there. Well, we're yeah. clever and quippy today. But I was watching Nicholas Holt, and I'm like, this guy's a pretty good actor. Mm -hmm. He can do comedy. He can do this action stuff. He can do the, this dramatic work. He can sell all this kind of like pseudo drama, which is really comedy, in these therapy sessions. <laughs> I really like, so, you know, he comes into the therapy group, and it was like, I, I need to tell my story. Like, I need to get out of this toxic relationship. And, you know, Carol's in the middle of her soliloquy, and she's like, yeah, fuck Carol. Fuck Carol. <laughs> I, fu I, fuck, I fuck Carol. <laughs> yeah. And so he starts going on, and, you know. So <laughs> They finally get him talking because they've kind of noticed he just comes and listens, much yeah. like Edward Norton in Fight Club. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and you know they get him, they get him going, and I, I kind of really like this guy running this support group. Yeah. If this was the '80s, Rick Moranis is playing this character. Oh gosh, yes, he is more cheese dick than uh, John Ralphio, uh, Ben Schwartz as Lobo, right? Oh, wow. He is just so, you know, poor. And then we're going to find out. And I thought this was a great reveal that this is really like a church group support group. Mm -hmm. What a, it's like the church, the antithesis of Dracula, right? Yeah. My enemy. Yeah. How they start getting him to talk. And he's like, oh, you have this, this boss. And yeah, but yeah, Mr. Renfield. Uh, my boss won't come to Supreme Power. He's like, Supreme Power, what a, that's a weird way to rephrase it, but sure, why not? <laughs> like, we're at least getting you to open up and talk about it. And I think that is part of Renfield's journey is kind of comically realizing he is in a weird, abusive relationship. Yeah. Man, I never thought we'd say that about a Dracula film, but here we are, right? There's genius to that. Yeah. Yes. It's terribly toxic. Mm -hmm. You know what his payoff is for all of the bidding of Dracula he has to do? Clean up all the mess. And bugs. Yeah. 
bugs and and kill people and bring back corpses. Ugh, hard pass. Yeah. Did you see Midnight Mass? Yeah, I couldn't finish it. You hated it that much. I, I got to like five or six, and I was just like, I'm. I don't care what happened. You don't like that guy. You don't. You didn't like him. I got. Or, I got some issues with Mister uh, Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan and his brand of horror. I'm with you there. Yeah. Um, but I'm, a lot of people like it. And if you like it, that's you know, all the power to you. What What sticks out to me about the the closing of the church sequence and what <laughs> kind of a safe place that is for Renfield to go until they put the year come inside or please enter Matt in front of the door. What that's, does it say? That's a, Welcome that, in or that, something? That's a little bit later, but yeah. What a great place for him to seek out support mm-hmm. at the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some very subtle and smart decisions they make in this along the way from let's give enough backstory on Renfield so that people who have no idea who this character is might also be intrigued to look into the backstory of Renfield. But if not, then, huh? There's a whole generation of people that have no idea that those scenes were taken from a film. And I like that yeah. that might inspire some previous yeah. exploration into that amazing movie. Mm-hmm. That's maybe not as amazing as we thought it was till last week. <laughs> yeah. Another one of those moments in Rice Smile films yeah. we've come to the conjuring is maybe not I that think, good, I except for the first we've one. We've been thinking about Dracula in that space for a little bit while. I know. Yeah. So Kirkman, yeah. the writer. Yeah. I thought that was, was there written anything else. Yeah. Like what? The Walking Dead. Oh, what else? <laughs> yeah. Didn't he do some of Turtles? Kind of surprised to see his name on this thing. Mm-hmm. Like I in, you know, screen story, whatever the hell that means, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so not like screenplay credit, but he's a name. I mean, he, he knows the horse pace. I, I just, I, I never knew it would be this kind of weird comedic vampire tale, take with Renfield. He's got a nice ability to take the subtle and make it matter. Yeah. Um, I hated parts of the walking dead with the long human condition monologue that just meant I'm going to die in the next episode. Yeah. But there are a lot of parts of the walking dead that really did work Mm -hmm. for essentially a quest for a depleted source of natural resources with an angry mob chasing you. That's kind of Dracula too. Think about it. Mm -hmm. You have to stay sequestered because if you get out in the daylight and are exposed, then you're exposed and terribly vulnerable. So then you have to come up with a small, and in this case, one band of support that can gather your resources because you're incapable of it. Because if you're exposed, whether that be to mankind or zombies, Mm -hmm. they will get you. So to Kirkman, you can talk about being pigeonholed as a writer and maybe you shouldn't do this or maybe you shouldn't do that or maybe I don't want to play this role because I'm only going to ever be that. Or then there's, but I'm really good at it mm-hmm. and maybe that's what I should do, yeah. Wes Craven. Yeah. John Carpenter, mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Just embrace what you are. You know your lanes, right? Because you're good at it. Yeah. And he's really good at, I think, building in subtext with the subtle. I thought that was it's surprising and get to the next big sequence in this movie, which is at this restaurant called Mutates or, uh, Shantates. Yeah. I thought it was a Mexican restaurant, which if dude, Mexican food in new Orleans, I'm taking, I'm taking my chances with Dracula, man. Uh, (laughs) but this scene's wild. Uh, but first, you know, the director of this film is Chris McKay. Mm -hmm. Might, people might not know him, but 
He actually directed both uh, the Lego movie and the Lego Batman movie, which I really, really like. Yeah. And I think has an interesting style of comedy that is a kid friendly, but also like for the adults. In the Lego Batman movie, there's this whole thing where like they go to this uh, uh, benefit dinner and there's like a children's choir and Robin's in there and they're singing Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson. Oh my God. And it's the funniest yeah. thing. And at times they're going, Shalom, Shaman. <laughs> yeah. So inappropriate. There's so many good jokes in that, in that mm-hmm. film. And not only tying to the Batman franchise, but just into just, you know, comedy writing in general. And so then he he ends up here with this this Renfield property. I think he's very capable of, of handling this content and the, what the tone of the film is supposed to be. Because I know because I know you looked and we're singing the praises of Nicholas Holt in a roundabout way. Mm-hmm. What's next? Nothing that I that I could see that's kind of on the horizon. It's close again. It's close again, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is going to bank enough to get it there, but. Even if you didn't like this movie, you're not going to say it's Nicholas Holt's fault that no, you no, don't no, like no. this movie. They're going to put that on Cage because that's what Nicholas Cage has brought into any film for. Give it to me. I can take right, it. Right, I, right. I, I can do, I've done it 10 times over. Yes. Well, you can't take me down. I'm, I'm a cockroach. I'm undestroyable. Kind of. He's close. You brought it up. That's the whole beginning of this conversation. Really close a couple times. It's right there. He needs one role. Yeah. One role. And maybe it was Batman, but, you know, maybe it's just, you know, not everyone's suited for that type of super. And, you know, he's done super. He's done beast. I mean, that's just, mm-hmm. it's so that those mm-hmm. contracts are absurd, right? They restrict you from doing other things that he might be better at. Is he ready for the Gosling treatment? Like, give him a solid oh, there you go. romance where he can get some chemistry with somebody? Because let's talk about him and Aquafina now, too. Yeah. I don't know if he's ready for it real quick. I don't know if he's ready for the the romance aspect, but if you gave Nicholas Holt like a weird indie action beat him up like Drive or like one of those films that Gosling's Lars and the Real Girl. Yeah, I think he would slay. I think he would be really good. Could you see him in a Lars in the... He does understated really well. Mm-hmm. Could you see him in a... Have you seen Lars and the Real Girl? Yeah, great film. Okay, yeah, yeah I love it too. That's one to maybe cover someday. Mm-hmm. Um, sexual proclivity podcast. <laughs> theme cask yeah. uh yeah something like that that he could really kind of show his understated chops with mm-hmm. and maybe that gets him there i just we talk a lot about the guys that were close that didn't we've talked about dane dehan a ton talked about guy pierce a ton <laughs> talked about to a certain degree carrie ann moss a little bit like that yeah. it just never quite got there so close but never quite got there mm-hmm. right I'd hate to see that for him because I think of maybe all of those other four, mm-hmm. he might be the most talented. Sure, but he's in that tough space, which is semi-British, ultra pasty, square jawed, and I don't know how you delineate yourself in that group from the rest of that category of actor. Because there's a lot of those guys right now. Oh, there's a ton of them. Yeah, pasty white actor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, how do you separate your, your yourself from that? Um... And it, you know what it is? It's not with tentpole. I think it's with something that's a little artsy, but here's the challenge with that, right? What if it's shitty and no one sees it? Okay, you want to talk about just coming full circle a s- tenth time. Oh, no. He's playing the Jonathan Harker uh, uh, stand in in this Robert Eggers Nosferatu. So Bill Skarsgård's playing the Count. Mm. Nicholas Holt is playing the Harker role. 
Uh, and then this is the one that has Willem Dafoe. Oh, that, that movie could be great. It could be great. Yeah. What does that do? Uh, I think next year. Probably like Halloween. Yeah, I think maybe maybe next. Uh, that'll probably come out like in March, which whatever. Robert Eggers is three for three for me in terms of weird, uncanny, that this idea fits him. And Nicholas Holton, that, that, that could be okay. That Harker character is going to be tough, but here's the great thing about Harker for him. As much, I love Keanu. You know, I love him. That's my man crush. That's one of the five people that I'd want to have lunch with. If I could have five choices, it'd be him tomorrow. Mm -hmm. That Harker character kind of sucks. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. We talked about it last week. Stiff as a board. So come on, don't be stiff. Mm -hmm. And Reeves is kind of stiff in that film too. Coppola's Dracula. Mm -hmm. There's some space there. Because that Eggers, that's going to be artsy. It's going to be weird too. Auteur, dare I say an auteur vampire film. Not in the way The Hunger was, but maybe semi-auteur. To me, Robert Eggers is the closest to the type of weird that... But Eggers might be a little bit different where his stuff is a little more coherent. Yep. He's close to Lynch. I was going to say Lynch, yep. Very Lynchian in terms of going there with the uncanny and the unseen, Mm -hmm. right? But his stories still have a beginning, middle, and an end. Right. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Maybe that's the role. Hey, I love David Lynch. He's one of my favorite guys, right? Uh, We're the horizon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we'll we'll have to cover that next year, right? That that seems like must talk about, right? Let's hope that 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 slays. Let's hope that that gets him there. Well, let's kind of roll back to the question you talked about. So we're at this restaurant, uh, Mutate's. And, you know, the Lobo family. And I really like this, too. So, you know, this wimpish son goes to this where his family's empire is. And they say, hey, your mom wants to talk to you. And so he's going, he's like, she doesn't want to talk to you upstairs in the basement. And he's like, "Uh uh-oh. And as the audience, we don't know what that means. And I don't know what's going on here, Matt. But there's like a pseudo, the mom's like Jigsaw. And has like a surgery uh, stage with weapons and stuff. Yeah. I don't need to know what she's doing. That's enough for me to know. Uh, this kind of mother means business, yeah, right? It's not good, right. She's going to chop you up into pieces if you betray her. So her son's kind of coming close to that, right? Mm-hmm. I kind of like that. I like, there's like this, like, uh, like, a, like, a, like a cloth, like a sheet. And someone's getting operated or cut up behind it and you don't know what's why or how you just know it's bad and i like that the film just doesn't have to like go into every conceivable detail of like why things are bad right yeah this is the villain of the film and so she says well it's your mess you got to clean it up you need to go find this guy that you know took out the drugs and and whatnot go find him triangulate his position find him however you need to and so they all end up at this restaurant right yeah and it turns into a huge shoot em up aquafina takes the 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 pen traces it to the restaurant so they can go interview people. And we're all kind of caught in the middle, right? Second line that really cracked me up, her little partner goes, order me a number three. The bathroom ordered a number two. (laughs) (laughs) So he's taking a dump during this entire action bit. And Renfield's sitting there contemplating like, oh my God, how can I go about doing this? And then across the table is is a table full of nuns. And then this cheerleading bus drives by the restaurant and they all come in. So he's like, I can't, get I guess I'll give him what he wants, right? So he's about to do it and then gets caught up in the middle of this crazy thing. Aquafina is about to get shot in the head. Yeah, She goes toe to toe with this guy, but this guy's such a wimp. He, he can't kill anybody, right? Mm-hmm. And so it incites this crazy action bit. And I'm like, oh my God, 
we're in the middle of a John Wick movie now. Like, yeah. dude, Renfield's going full Wick. Yeah. Yeah. He cuts a guy's arms off with a serving platter. Love that. It's brutal. He He's doing weird kicks and, and flips over tables and gung fu, gung kata. Uh, pretty good. I think the action's not bad in this film. Are I didn't you, know I was going to watch an action movie when I was watching Renfield. That's where it starts to devolve, right? So, or evolve, maybe not devolve. Action, comedy, horror. That's an interesting mix. Um, you either do one or maybe two. I don't know if I've ever seen all three done at the same time, right? Um, because you know, Blade's action horror. That movie's not funny. American Werewolf in London is take Guillermo del Toro movie early on, um, zombie film. Oh, I'll look it. Up. I'll look it up. We've talked about it on the show before. I guess, you know, Shaun of the Dead might get pretty close, right? Ish, yeah, ish. But I don't think it leans into the horror kind of like this film does. We're in an interesting space here. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, it's, it's a trifold subgenre mixing that I didn't think would work, and I think all three at times work pretty well. If you had one, add the fourth genre in there too, go classic, classic monster. Mm-hmm. Ambitious. Yeah. So after all this, she's like, oh, she's really amazed at... Mr. This Renfield guy that like helped her out in this jam, he killed a ton of people. Mm-hmm. Hey, I need to talk to you. Like, uh, take your statement. And then they kind of start this little romance thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they lean into it as much as they intend to, because it kind of feels like it's there, and then it kind of feels like it's not there. Yeah. Third favorite line of the film. <laughs> uh, so really great moment of comedy. So they're having like a romantic, like, oh my god, you're incredible. And this bar patron like lifts her head up and goes, hey, can we get up now? Like we're all hiding under the tables. And then they all start applauding Renfield and off to the side, there's a little bit of dialogue. If you blink, you'll miss it. And this guy goes, you the man, Mr. Renfield. Yeah. Oh, dude. <laughs> In stitches. Yeah. yeah. That was, that was pretty good. That's good. Yeah. So, you know, she's curious about him, wants to know he's very mysterious. How, how would you know to kill all these people? And then this is when he starts to undergo his transformation of, I'll embrace being in a toxic relationship or like knowing I'm in one and I'm going to go being independent for myself. So he goes get and gets his own little apartment. Yeah. <laughs> and because Renfield knows next to nothing other than 1930s fashion goes to the gap and like gets a bunch of clothes and he could not look more horrid. Oh my God. No <laughs> khaki on pastel and his pastel painted apartment Ugh. comedically hilarious. Yeah. And, but I, I get it. Like he's just, he's, he doesn't know like what the trends are. Like right. he doesn't know what a good piece of denim and a graphic tee will do for him. Right. <laughs> yeah. He looks, he looks crazy. Right. And then he shows up at the police station with a bouquet of flowers and he looks like a ghost man. And then mm. everyone's like, is this your boyfriend? Or like, no, fuck you, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> that fuck you. Kyle line's funny, man. <laughs> but what do you think about it? I know you brought it up. What do you think of the Aquafina mix and this this whole thing here? Uh, she could be off-putting for me. Like, I think she's another personality that tends to sort of steal scenes from people when she's on there. Uh, and again, I want Nicholas Holt to be featured because it's his film. Uh, I was fine with her, actually. Um, I don't actually want them to be a couple. They can play in that space, but I don't want them to be a couple. Yeah. And the movie never quite gets us there. Maybe there's some hints, but it doesn't officially get us there. There's no... Facebook official by any means. Yeah. I think it's okay. Yeah. Uh, there's an art to playing opposite her because she is so snarky yeah. and yeah. quippy. Like, it's just like kind of like uh harsh in her delivery. And, and I don't mean this 
in a bad way, but not traditionally beautiful. There's not, she's not beautiful at all, mm-hmm. frankly. So for him to take her quippy, harsh, sarcastic tone and maybe other traits that she, I'm, I'm being too politically right. The, the, the fact that she's not aesthetically pleasing yeah. and find something to like about her speaks to Renfield's character. So by doing nothing or smaller amounts than what she's doing, he kind of wrestles it back from her a little bit apologetic initially when she first arrives and when she's at his apartment, when he basically saves her and she realizes who she's with. But, uh, yeah, I think they're pretty good together. Actually, yeah. I think they're a nice duo. Well, an interesting, like a kind of like an odd couple, right? Very odd. Yeah. And kind of how they, they play off each other. And I'm kind of, in, like I said, I'm into, I just, I still don't know if it belongs in this film, but like, I want to see her bring down the Lobo gang mm-hmm. to like admin for her father's murder. Right. Yeah. And patch up stuff with her sister, like whatever is going on there too. I mean, there's some decent arcs that they're putting together for her character as well. And then this is where we get at that great moment too. So, you know, you know, he's been absent for a while uh, and uh, Dracula goes and visits him at his new apartment. And this is where he has the doormat that says, welcome, come in. I thought that was genius. Like, cause you know, the vampire has to be invited into the house and you have a piece of, furniture that does that for you yeah shit so that's why he's just sitting there waiting (laughs) it's pretty good Mm -hmm. and then uh before that you know he's really trying to communicate to dracula and tell him hey i need to get out of this you know i'm in a toxic relationship and you know this is when dracula starts to get a little scary and he literally backs him into a corner like you know uh someone in a domestic violence situation is gonna find themselves in and he's reading from this pamphlet and Dracula just mocks and he's like, oh, where did you get this literature from? <laughs> and this is when he turns it over and sees it's from the church. I thought that was a great reveal of just like, we talked last week about religion versus Dracula, right? And just how Catholicism and the cross is so entwined with vampire lore. And it didn't just have to be a support group. Of course it had to be a support group that was like sanctioned by some like born again Christian church, right? Right. <laughs> Right. Pretty great, right? It is, yeah. Uh, in between this, Sun Lobo has been given a task force to go, still go find this man. He still hasn't completed his job. So they go to the hospital, and I really like the scene where they, like, stumble, you know, across the the lair, and they're just like, these guys, these are bad guys, right? Bad hombres, and... They've stumbled into something and are like, oh my God, this is this is worse than us. Like, there's a slab of bodies here. There's this blood bag thrown. Somebody call my fucking mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he kind of starts grooming him to be this another familiar. New maybe familiar. maybe one who's more loyal, who's gonna stand by him, who's not gonna go start up a new apartment and a new life for him. So we're creating conflict with him, right? And the love triangle? And, yeah, jealousy, right? I yeah. mean, Renfield might be a little jealous of this new type of relationship if he's being replaced, right? If you piss off the Dark Lord too much, he's just going to kill you because he can't have you out there with the knowledge about him running your mouth. So if you're replaced as Familiar 1 with Familiar 2, it's curtains, man. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? Renfield's trying to get away, but part of that is, gosh, do you really want to get away? Because he's going to find you. But then now when there's direct competition of someone who is all the more bloodthirsty and at the ready to abide to any of Dracula's 
crazy wishes than loyalty certainly becomes tantamount to what's Renfield mean to Dracula because I think he's starting to share some of that loyalty partly with Aquafina, mm-hmm. but larger to the betterment of humankind. And if you think about that too, that's also a little bit layered because that's what Dracula wants to do a day with in his map of world domination. Mm-hmm. Just do them all in. So yeah. we've really done a good job. We Kirkman's done a really good job of putting Renfield at the center of several threads of conflict, whether that's remote, uh, like emotional with Aquafina, whether that's familiar, familial with Dracula, whether that's societal, whether that's um, contemporary. He's really a man, a fish out of water. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah. But not by happenstance, sort of by choice. Yeah. Better learn how to swim and breathe fast, buddy, because the tr- walls are closing in. Well, you know, you know. Well, I guess not swim, walk. I don't want to get too deep right now, but, you know, these kind of domestic abusing situations, you know, one reason, you know, people kind of stick around for longer than they should is because they're comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they're just used to kind of taking it and their their way of life. Dude, that's Renfield in a nutshell. Exactly. I don't I don't mean to speak light on that at all because I know a lot of people are victimized and that is absolutely awful, but they're playing on that with the Renfield Dracula relationship here yeah, of yeah. just kind of how physically and emotionally abusive it is. Mm-hmm. Because he's going to track him down to this church support group. And the guy's like, yeah, sure, come on in. No! And I love that Cage Dracula. And he's kind of built himself. He's gone through like several, almost like Brundlefly, Mm. several stages of decomposition to like full health again. A reverse Brundlefly. Mm Mm-hmm. And he comes in, and he's wearing this top hat that Bela Lugosi was wearing in the first Dracula. He looks ridiculous with this cane and this, like, fur coat. Yeah. And he's telling everyone, and he's like, I am Lord of Darkness, Prince of Evil. And he's like, sometimes I go by, and this guy butts him. Renfield's boss? And dude, like, that. he's like, ew. <laughs> and Renfield's like, please don't, don't, these are good people here. Like, don't, don't take it out on them. Punish me. Dude, Dracula wipes out this support group like nobody's business. Yeah. Dude, it's a massacre. Yeah. Even this uh, this Rick Moranis guy, mm-hmm. dude, he he bites it too. Very little feeding, just carnage, mm-hmm. just destruction. Yeah. Slash, 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 using his claws to just disembowel one after another. Mm-hmm. Damage is heavy. Yeah. And this is, I think, a threat to Renfield. Anybody you get close to, if you put them before me, this is what's going to happen to them. Don't forget, Renfield, you belong to me. Yeah. And maybe after all of my 50 needs are met, I might give you a few bugs or maybe an hour of break, but you belong to me. And don't get ahead of yourself on this because if you get out of this lane, you're going to pay with your heart. Yeah. So, hey, I like that motivation from a bad guy. Because now you're isolating Renfield, and that's exactly what that support group was trying to alleviate, was Mm -hmm. the isolation of abuse. Yeah. Really well done. Yeah. So Aquafina comes in with her partner, and they kind of catch, you know, Renfield red-handed. It kind of looks like he massacred all these people, so it's kind of victim of circumstance situation. Come with me, buddy. You're coming into custody with me. And then we get to a really interesting scene here. I wonder if you could help me out. So, you know, they're about to take him in. 
and then the Lobo family s- surrounds them, and then the cops are with them. So we kind of learn at that point that the cops are being paid by this mob family, whatever. Mm. Uh, and they want her to drop everything. They hand us over to that man because he's 115 years old or whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, she kind of kind of relinquishes that. But then we kind of leave this scene, and then we pick up a little bit later at the next morning at Renfield's apartment and she's kind of in bad shape and you know he brings her some tea and some cookies did I miss a scene is there a scene that just got completely cut out of this movie that shows how they escaped or got into a skirmish getting out of there it seems so yeah interesting I'm okay I'm willing to go with it kind of like a get it get out get in late and we just kind of pick up with like oh something obviously happened but Mm -hmm. It really felt like there was a scene there that we just did not get to see unless I missed it. No, you didn't miss oh, it. Okay. No, 93-minute film. I got to applaud that, too. You yeah. know, this isn't some, like, two-hour and 20-minute adventure into just horror comedy action. 93 minutes. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of on board with that. Tell your story. That's about the right. That's about right. Mm-hmm. Tell your story and get on with it. Yeah. Did you think that was weird? It was weird. That had to have been left on the editing room floor for some purposes that... Or maybe just time constraints. Shorten up the movie? I mean, it, would, it seemed like valuable information to get us from D to E, D, uh, D to E right? Mm-hmm. I was just sitting there thinking, I was like, I feel like there was a scene that we should have seen that we just didn't. And yeah. okay, I guess we're just moving on. I guess so. And this is kind of where he confesses to her, right, of I had this family and, you know, I'm with Dracula, the Count Dracula, yeah. Uh, and she kind of warms up a little, but she's still kind of, you know, kind of like wants to keep him at arm's length. And so they're like, well, we got to, you know, we'll go see my sister. We'll get some answers. And then, you know, before it's too late. And then they get into this skirmish here because you got police and the Lobo family coming to take them out at this apartment building. And this is like the highlight of the film. This, this scene here is crazy town. Yeah. And it, it got to the scene, you know, Chekhov's cockroach. I knew we were going to have to have a scene where he was like, I need a bug quick. I need some quick power instantly. And his little neighbor boy who he gave an ant to his last ant from his little ant box for his little ant farm. And then this scene of him just <laughs> dumping him. Oh, it was, that was good. That, that was good. And so then he Renfield's out and he just beats the hell out of these guys. She, mm-hmm. she handles herself well too, but man, Renfield rips a guy's arms off and then beats another 10 guys with, severed arms stabs him with them spears him stabs two other guys by throwing them down to a lower landing and then this like big heavy guy this like ball guy who we've seen a few times here he jumps off one landing lands on his head sends him down to the lower landing and then like almost like he's like trying to land the triple lindy hits the ground and there's just an eruption of blood <laughs> oh that was it was pretty great it was, it was pretty just, great wild and ridiculous and at that point you either embrace it or you're just like you're kind of up to here with it but what doesn't make any sense to be conservative in that where we are now in the film that calls this movie calls for that kind of action so if you're going to do it let's go ahead and do it and 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 i think when you and i in particular i think are in that space right now where if you're going to do like a john wick like like Mm -hmm. visceral impactful heavy action sequence like don't just half-ass it yep Go all in. And that film certainly does it. Listen back to two weeks. And this film does it as well in a horror sense, right? Mm, yeah. Dude, Wick, Wick ain't beating a guy with his severed arms, but I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah. Yeah. Jason Bourne would. 
So we kind of get to the finale here. Well, you know, we're going to the this family's like heavy compound here because Dracula's kind of, you know, brought himself and and kind of intermingled with this family because he's turned over the sun, right? Yep. And mom, Dracula's gonna help us take over the world. And so those are their goals, right? But you know, Renfield's like, I, you know, we gotta take them down. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta do it this way. And we get some nice fisticuffs action, uh between uh yeah, Teddy Lobo is the guy's name and uh and Renfield. They kind of Renfield kind of goes in and kind of has to take on like all these guys. And kind of a cool moment, you know, they Another scene that I think we should have seen, but the sister went in sooner or they abducted her. Yeah. And I think she looks dead uh, or, or on that same slab that mom introduced us to a while ago. Exactly. Yeah. And Dracula does a pretty interesting thing here of, hey, she's dead. I can bring her back, mm-hmm. but you got to give yourself up to me and you got to become one of mine. Right. And so. So one thing about the Renfields, I I don't think they're indestructible, right? No. Because even Renfield in that kind of opening bit has his stomach slashed by that mm-hmm. uh, hitman guy. And if he doesn't get Dracula's blood to cure, I think he'll eventually bleed out, right? Yeah. So they're not indestructible, but they are superhuman. It's kind of an interesting predicament of whether she's going to take the bait or not. Like how much does, does she, because earlier she says, I can't lose my sister because, you know, I've lost my parents uh, if I lose her, I'll have nothing else left. So you can kind of see where she'd be like, I kind of need to take this deal because I need to have her still. Uh, but I've heard about you and I, I can't kind of do what, what you're doing. And kind of an interesting route. She's trying to kind of lure him in a little bit so they can like open up the shutters. Mm-hmm. Renfield comes in at the last second and, you know, it kind of works a little bit, but then, you know, they're, they still have to do a bit of a damage to Dracula here. What, what do you think of this whole finale? Is this, does this wrap things up nicely? I mean, we're still playing with some pretty interesting elements here. Renfield and, I'm sorry, Renfield and Dracula have to square off and Aquafina and the Lobo family have to square off. So putting Renfield, God, come on, Matt, putting Dracula and the Lobo family on the same side also makes sense. Dracula needs an army. He, he admits that. I need an army. The Lobo family provide him an army in his map of world domination conquests. So a natural alignment between those two sides makes perfect sense to me. We have already aligned Aquafina and Renfield, or Quincy and Renfield. So it's paired off nicely. Might I dare say that when we begin this battle, Quincy and Renfield are an underdog duo by a lot. Yeah. He runs into four or five other familiars that Dracula has created in addition to Lobo. Walks in and there's four or five glowing-eyed bad guys that stare down Renfield. And you're like, oh my gosh, they're him. It was like uh, Neo taking on the Merovingians vampires, right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, the Merovingians. (laughs) With with the axes and Mm -hmm. all their battle... uh, spires and whatnot yeah they are a little outmatched and you know they do a cool thing and i kind of like their prep either we kind of skipped over their little we like we need time to prep and like they they prep to fight vampires as best they could Mm -hmm. across in in a desk you know they get a few things from here it's really hodgepodge right uh but they do enough and you know she's able to take uh some of the cocaine and make one of these like uh protective circles (laughs) And then she learned from Wiccan Tumblr, which I thought that was kind of hilarious oh, too. Oh yeah, Wiccan Tumblr. And uh, 
as long as you know the the words, you can put whatever whatever you want around them. So they got him trapped around cocaine, which is pretty hilarious. Yep. And so like, well, what are we going to do with this guy? And, you know, kind of like, you know, one of those rage rooms, which are kind of all the rage where you just get to go beat on shit to kind of get your mm-hmm. anger out. They kind of take their anger out on Dracula, man. They, oh. got, they got all these weapons and stuff, and they just, they hack this guy to bits. And then they put him in, and then very comedically, you know, they, 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 they cut him up in things. They pour acid on him. They do a few things, and then they put him into a cement mixer, put him into an ice cube tray, and then just, like, dump his pieces into the reservoir. So that he can't put himself back together, or at least not for a little while. Yeah. I love it. That's pretty interesting, right? It's Yeah, it's just, yeah, he can't reform himself because his... He's got a piece in several spots. Well, there's this really funny moment between Renfield and Quincy when they're sharing the weapons and the idea for what they're going to do, and they're both just beaming ear to ear, smile like, we're going to take this mother down yeah. and turn him into cat food. Yeah. Brutally violent. Mm-hmm. We're talking wood chipper and Fargo Steve yeah, Shimmy yeah, style there, violence There you here. go, yeah. So, yeah, good for them. And it's kind of a smart plan, to be honest with you. Like, I'd probably prefer you to do it to the thing because that would keep them pieces from separating. Yeah, you need to do it to the thing. You know, I kind of think, you know, Jason Voorhees is able to come back from everything. Everything. You kind of need to do this to him, too. Yeah. There's a couple of these guys where, yeah, you need to, like, chop them up into pieces, cement them, put them in a few blocks, and then, like, throw, scatter them across the globe. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I guess the sister was dead, and they were able to siphon some of Dracula's blood to bring her back to life. But I don't know if that means she's kind of in a Renfield state, a kind of ill-defined, and mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe it doesn't matter, right? Uh, but kind of interesting. I didn't know she was dead. They do that for the support group at the church, too. There's a picture with Dracula's blood on there. Because they're all back alive. And that's Renfield pretty, brought them all that's pretty hilarious. It so is, yeah. He comes in, you know. Coffee machine, orange juice, water pitcher, Dracula's blood with the little hello, my name is sticker kind of effect with it written on there. Yeah, and... The Rick Moranis guy who leads the group, uh, he's like, he's like, yeah, you brought us back from the dead after we've seen things, seen things that I won't be able to. So, so these guys have gone on to the afterlife and have seen something, and then brought back, and then brought back to life. So, like these people are like kind of really messed up now, right? Fuck Carol, yeah, and you too, Kyle, yeah. And I wonder if that means he's like, you know, if he does come from this religious background, but what he went and saw was like very different from what he's been. Brought up on, right? Kind of seems that way. Yeah, kind of in an interesting, perverse way. And I guess Renfield's going to live his life. He's he's not uh, dependent on Dracula anymore. He's going to kind of live his own uh, own life on, on his terms. I guess still super powered by his blood, uh, if need be, but gets to live everlasting, but he's not going to be abused. And then the movie just ends. Yeah, that's the story. Yeah, yeah. get on with it. Yeah, 90, 93 minutes, you said? Yeah. 95 minutes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, not bad. Uh, no, this is not a two-hour long movie. This is get the romp action bits out of the way, get to it, and then let's go. And yeah. Good for them. It's You can make a full story in 93 minutes, everybody. Yeah, quick and efficient. Yeah, story you just kind of get in and get out. Uh, but that's, yeah, that's a capper on, on Renfield here. Uh, I do want to talk about just briefly, and then I'll got a couple questions for you. So whatever this kind of means, you know, we had the Invisible Man a few years ago, which was, I think, four years ago. or no, three years ago already. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one of the last movies before, you know, everything got kind of shut down uh, with, with COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have this. The Gosling Wolfman is kind of floating around in there. And I don't want you to give away too much, but, you know, I did allude to you that the Radio Silence creative team, which is 
the producer and directors behind the last two Scream films, Ready or Not, are tapped into some mystery Universal Monster project. We don't know what it is, but I think, you know, maybe I'll answer the question for you. I think there is life with the monsters still. I mean, this kind of proves it. So uh, what do you kind of think of all that going forward? I'm super excited. If you're able to, for, for my issues with the way they chose to do Renfield, like action comedy horror is not my cup of tea. It still was a really entertaining film. And I think it was an aggressive and creative take on the character. That's pretty soft. Yeah. So if they can do that with him, then when you give them something that's really meaty Mm -hmm. saying, we'll get to that in a minute. Super excited. I hope they come out and slay. Like we've talked about this now for a while. We've talked about what the dark universe was supposed to be how the mummy killed that. We've talked about the Gosling reboot of the Wolfman for a better part of a couple of years now. We've been in this space. What needs to happen is one of these needs to not get a B-list or C-list character like Renfield, like get a big one. And maybe this radio silence team is the ones that can deliver and get this thing across the finish line in a big, cool, meaningful way. Mm -hmm. And maybe then we go. Yeah. I'm excited. Super excited. And I love that they're being very hush-hush about what it is. I have my beliefs on what it is, but we'll talk about that. In there's a few some minutes. meat on the bone, right? I mean, there's a just... A ton. And I love that Universal's still, even in 2023, mm-hmm. nearly 100 years old, these characters. Yep. But they're still trying to find ways to make them relevant in different eras and different styles. And at least they're trying. I mean, at least they're just not letting it just go by the wayside because... I think there's a lot of clever things you can do to do with that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this this film, for example, and kind of the Invisible Man was kind of like an interesting modern take on a, another abusive relationship. Oh but yeah, with like right. Invisible technology. Yeah. Unique ways into the into the material, and I think if you get the right writers and co- collaboratives in there, that they, they might be able to figure that out. So, what's your favorite tasting note? Favorite scene, sequence, moment. Oh. Of Renfield. Opening black and white. Yeah, you mentioned it already. Loved it, yeah. There's other parts I like too, but that to me was just sheer creative genius. Thank you for doing that. Pretty good, pretty good. Oh, my favorite. Respect your roots, right? I think it's got to be, it's got to be the post first fight after, or second fight aftermath at that restaurant when it was very John Wicky and brutal and limbs and blood and just chaos. Mm-hmm. And then they alleviate it with this joke of, okay, can we get come out from under these these things? Because it's, it's safe to come out now. And then that guy killing it with that line. You the man, Mr. Renfield. So good. It's the moments like, if, like if, it, if it hits me just right, like the right line, like it'll break me. It'll yeah. break me comedically. And that, that, that did it. That, like that one really got a good chuckle out of me. Good. Uh, okay, I got something special for you this week. What's the... How could somebody misfile something? What could be easier? It's all alphabetical. You just put it in the right file according to alphabetical order. You know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. That's all you have to do. The oh my God or the oh my cage moment of the film. Oh, man. Um, It might be Dracula's arrival at the support group 
and the realization that this movie is not going to give us I need to feed on the blood of the living Dracula, but I'm going to thrash the hell out of anyone who's living Dracula, which includes Renfield. That scene is brutal. There's lots of violence in there, but watching Cage, and it's it's just his claws, his, his fingernails, rip through flesh and just limb from limb. Everybody is wiped out in the span of like 35 seconds with zero more. So he only takes one little slug of a guy and then I think it's the Rick Moranis character yeah. and the rest of them he just destroys that is just such an F you to Renfield do you mm-hmm. like these people no no you're gonna like me yeah I was like damn that was yeah. brutal I'll take them out brutal so that, mo- that and they don't it. pull the punches right I mean None they just all. they just they let them have it yep even Carol fuck you Carol yeah <laughs> you too Kyle uh Mine's going to be that apartment brawl, and then the the climax of it specifically where he jumps on the guy's head, takes him down to the lower level, and then turns him into a jelly at the bottom. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. Like, mm-hmm. like th- that got, like, just like an oh my, oh my God out of me. Yeah. Like, audibly. Yeah. Pretty cool little action bit, Uh, but, yeah, it just, it, it reinforces the brutality that this film decides to lean into, and good for them. Mm-hmm. Who's the master distiller on Renfield? Nicholas Holt. Gotta be. Understated with these really large characters around you and huge personalities across the board from gangsters and mafia moms to Aquafina to Nick Cage. And you still pull it off in Renfield as understated and somehow wrestle back that movie that Cage is desperately trying to rip away from you. It's Nicholas Holt for me in this film. Good choice. Yeah, I was, I was blown away by, by him. I, I thought I was like, why isn't he getting more roles, right? I mean, he mm-hmm. certainly has a presence. Yeah. Uh, he's really good. And even when, you know, it, the moment you picked where he's wiping out the support group, he kind of throws Renfield like to the side and they do a cool thing where he's like running and he's like, no, yeah. and they kind of keep cutting back to it. Like, I thought that was pretty clever too. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it to director Chris McKay. I think he aptly handled this material in a way that could really get out of hand and turn into just a raunch comedy or just a full on horror film or just an action movie. And he kind of balances all three tones pretty well. I'm not going to say maybe as well as like a John Landis and American Werewolf in London, but decently enough where I think you have a good time watching this thing. And I think they, they, they do the material well mm-hmm. in a 2023 space. I think Chris McKay did a pretty good job. Extra honorable mention to Robert Kirkman, because that guy's name's kind of in the mud with me of how walking dead ended up. But Hey, this is, this is kind of a step in the right direction here. Sure. Maybe you have him lead your MonsterVerse, man, at Universal. Still hope. Yeah. How are you going to rate and grade Renfield? We have Rocket, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf, all based around whiskeys. Where are you going for this week? Call Plus. Really entertaining film. Uh, I came into the show not, I think we talked on Tuesday, about not exactly knowing where I was on this without giving any ratings away. Uh, Talking through it and taking a step back and looking at some of the more interesting, intelligent, and creative decisions that McKay and Kirkman make are really noteworthy. Uh, How do you do, and it's a challenge, Jesse, how do you do Renfield bigger than Count Dracula? And you somehow manage to, by keeping him other than his moments of superhuman likability, understated, gentle, and kind? Yeah. Maybe that's it. Bit of a Ted Lasso approach here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm in a big rush to watch it again, um, but if it's on, I don't think I would shy away from it. Yeah. And 
I'd be curious, you know, the way like I think Wick gets a little bit better when you can get through all of the beats of the story and just sit down and really immerse yourself into the artistry of the choreography with yeah. the Gung Fu. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an element of that here with this. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty, it's a pretty simple story. So I don't, I guess Wick though is too, isn't it? Yeah, no. I, yeah. I, I'm talking myself into more than this is call plus enjoyable film. Yeah. Good job. It's an easy call plus for me. Same. Yeah. I, had a, I had a great time watching it. It just felt like good entertainment uh, with some meat on the bone to kind of dive into for the last hour and a half, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I kind of you know you know there was something we didn't talk about, but I thought there was an interesting juxtaposition between the Renfield Dracula Hospital lair and the support group are lit in the same green tint. Mm, good catch. I mean, what's yeah? What's that about? I mean, abusers they live in a green tinted world, right? Mm-hmm. It's they're kind of synonymous with each other. Yeah. But it's just a funny, fun, kind of a raunch comedy horror at times. And then this action vehicle that I didn't know I was gearing up for. And I love that, you know, this is a film that could have easily been PG-13. You can kind of feel it. If they take the F words out of it yeah. and tone down the violence, you can you can see how this could be PG-13. And I love that they put the foot on the gas and were like, no, this is R. We're, go- we're going hard R, right? Good call, yes. Um, yeah, this is a this is a good time. This is a good time at the movies. I mean, this is way more enjoyable and watch uh, watchable than Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania mm-hmm. or a few other things that like uh, uh, Cocaine Bear or a few other few other things. So, I did you see Cocaine Bear on Peacock? Oh, okay, <laughs> uh, it, it, not bad. And for what that film is, right, kind of mm-hmm. just meant to be ridiculous. But this is way more enjoyable, and uh, I think more people should go go check it out if you just want something you don't have to be tethered to and just invest so much mental energy into something, but you want to have a good time and still have those beats there. If you want them, man, Renfield kind of checks a lot of boxes. Good job. And I guess a thorough surprise too. I mean, we were kind of worried about the trailer and I think it, you know, maybe surpassed a little bit of my expectations. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So I guess I am, I am thankful for that. Uh, but let's wrap this thing up with our nightcap. So I kind of set it up a, a little bit already, but, you know, whatever the Radio Silence team is doing, you know, there is some fertile ground here with not just Dracula or the Wolfman, but there's several characters they can dive into and tackle. What are three projects, uh, universal monster projects that you'd like to see going forward? And I don't know if it's a three, th- it's it's not a just, ranking, but just like, give me your three. Jekyll and Hyde's one of them. Interesting. I think in today's look at where right and wrong stops and what we tolerate and what we don't and how we justify things that might not have once upon a time been justifiable, it creates a whole different paradigm that you can play with Hyde specifically. Jekyll the doctor. Look, and and the controversy around medicine, I don't have to give that to anybody here on the podcast. Everybody sees through some of that. The controversy with modern medicine and the ills that maybe it's derived for or the misbegotten gains that it's derived against is intimately interesting to me. 
and exponentially inviting for a large subsection of all people. If you give Hyde the ability to tap into something that is not restrained and freeing, but yet still bipedal and human. And then like that Jack the Ripper side to him, right? Yeah, let it begin, man. And how do you take that down? And you can hide in plain sight because they look different. You know, you get into DNA stuff. And I think that that's, you know, we, and we did see that character in The Mummy. But not that. I want like just that film. Give me that movie, that story. Could it be in the pursuit of a woman? Yeah. Could it be in the pursuit of a job? Like to get this job, I need to be hyper, hyper masculine. And society doesn't really love that right now. So by day, I'm not so much that. And then I take this. I'm not saying like turn him into steroid monster. I'm not saying that. That's what that Ben Helsing movie did, right? Yeah. To kind of, it kind of worked though in some ways. It's not a great movie, but it, it still kind of worked a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think you see where I'm going with it. Chemist in the sheets, mm-hmm. ghoul in the streets. Love it. <laughs> Love it. You know, he's already played a doctor, a prominent doctor on film, but uh, I think Benedict Cumberbatch would be a good Mr. Hyde for you. Oh, my God. He'd be fantastic. Yeah. What's yours? Uh, this is very appropriate just because it just ended its long uh, history on Broadway, I think, last week or the week before. Cats? No. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> uh, no, that was pretty good. Uh, Fam of the Opera. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think Lon Chaney's Phantom is the original Universal monster. He's about three or four years before Bela Lugosi. Yeah. And then they did another Phantom of the Opera film in 1941 with Mr. Claude Rains as the titular Phantom. But I think doing a monstrous take on that material without the musical elements, because, you know, that's kind of been done a lot already. But give me, like, a cool monster movie set in a theater with, like, a ghoulish phantom, like, in a modern sense. Dude, sign me up. I'm down for that. I love that, too. Yeah. Good one. And I think that's just a quiet one that, like, no one remembers or thinks about when they think about universal monsters. But I guess the Phantom of the Opera is a universal monster. And, boy, is he ghoulish in that film, man. Yeah. Hiding behind his mask. I mean, you know, all the questions with duality and mask wearing and the real monster behind the mask. I mean, you, you can have a field day with that. Field day. So I think that could be kind of fun. There's an interesting 80s slasher I watched. It kind of, it's not a popular one, but it's called Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. And it's the same concept, but it's like a guy with a phantom mask and he's haunting a shopping mall, late 80s. Mm. And it's a slasher movie. Kind of works. Cool. There's, Good one. There's a scene in that movie where this uh, cobra swims up a, a toilet. Oh, and bites this guy on the dick. Oh, yeah. I had never seen a kill like that before. It was it was, it was pretty ingenious. That's pretty good. Yeah. Okay, number two, mm-hmm. the creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, let's jaws it out a bit. Summer release. Don't go in the water. And I don't even, it doesn't even need to be lake. It can be bay. But uh, give me something stalking in the water. And if you even want, you could even have that creature strand these people on a boat away from shore where they have to survive and outwit this thing that is far better equipped in the water than they are. And if you don't do that and you just want to do steal the girl and get away, that works too. Uh, 
that's one with all the universal stuff that we've done that's been remade or reimagined some version that one has kind of shockingly been left alone yeah, huh yeah so um i'm ready let's do that one yeah i'll piggyback on it because i actually you know you got to get the creature in here at some point and i actually think this might be the one that radio silence might be tapping into at least yeah. that's my guess prediction i'm with you on that one uh yeah, I think that would be great. A modern Gilman film, mm-hmm. humanoid, stocking some sort of body of water. Yeah, and you do a Jaws kind of angle on it. That could be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially if they design him really well and they lean more into the practical and less of the CG. That could be pretty good. Have you ever seen, um, talk about a crazy series, but the Creature from the Black Lagoon trilogy, you know, eventually they capture him and then they take him to like a SeaWorld in Florida and then he's like an exhibit where people get to come visit the Gilman. And then he breaks out and like causes chaos. Like, cause he doesn't want to be in captivity. Cause right. he's like this thing. I think Clint Eastwood is like early on. It was one of his first film roles is in one of those movies. Really? But that might be creature walks among us. It's an interesting little trilogy of the Gilman. Right. But you're right. That's all we've had. That's all we've ever had. Mm-hmm. Even the hammer horse series, which kind of really mirrored uh, what universal was doing. Hammer Horror never did like a Gilman movie. They did one called The Reptile, but like that was like in a like on a mansion. It wasn't in a body of water. Weird that they left that solo. Like the 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 monster alien movie has timeless staying power. Way, way overdue. Good. Yeah, we both agree there. What's your number one? Ah, oh, this is so tough for me. I'm torn between two. Um, we have talked so much about Gosling and the Wolfman that I'm gonna pass on that, although that probably would be one. So I'm going to do the sidekick, although maybe not necessarily the sidekick of this character, but I don't even want Frankenstein. I want the bride. Just give me the bride. Let's introduce her. You can give me the monster later. Do the bride first. Make a movie just about the bride. That is loaded. Crazy doctor creating woman that meets the needs, and I don't want to get too Stepfordy here, but there's an element of Stepford in play for certain. Mm-hmm. Oh man, Jesse, with all the kind of gender stuff going on right now and the conflicts between male and female and, oh man, this could be a monumentally troubling and interesting film. Yeah, they haven't. Is Brandon Cronenberg making The Bride? Yeah. Give it to me. He has to, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, That would be great. Uh, Yeah, I mean, there hasn't been like a a prominent Frankenstein property probably since the Kenneth Branagh version, right? Yeah, right. So it seems like ground that we're ready to kind of tackle and dive back into again. And yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. You That's can your be, third two? Uh, oh, no, no. Okay. I thought about that one. I thought that one would be pretty good. Mine's a little more off the beaten path. And he's not a, a monster in the traditional sort. But, you know, the Universal Monster label covers, you know, a lot of things from just like haunted house movies and, and whatnot. But I think they could do, and they might have to make a few of these movies. But I think if they did a modern version of Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein with like Jason Siegel and Jonah Hill, but with like some of these monsters, but then they like really go for it. Like go R like Renfield did. I think that could be pretty clever and fun in a modern horror comedic sense. Kind of a little bit 21 jump street meets the monsters. I think would be maybe, maybe Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill. There you go. Just do that. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. That could be kind of fun. And get Shaun of the Dead guy to write it. Yeah, um, Edgar Wright. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. 
and just have some fun with it like you did with Renfield because obviously that pays off when you know you're not so pseudo serious the entire time, right? Yeah. You can be a little lighthearted with your material, but I think that element um, would play pretty well. And I, I think I told you my last rewatch of Abbott and Costello was fantastic. Like that movie's hilarious. And it was great seeing like those Lon Chaney and Bela Lugosi like on screen together as those characters. Mm -hmm. But they could do a version of that again and just kind of really have a lot of fun with it. I love that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Thank you. That's six films we need to see. Absolutely. Let's hope there's six films that they consider and put into development. But we're not done with Mr. Renfield. Uh, we got one more film we would like to discuss uh, here with the Renfield cast. And you've kind of been alluding to it. And we did mention it uh, on last week's episode. But if you didn't catch that one, we next week we're going to cover from 1992, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> mm. Uh, I can't wait to talk about this film. I'll just say right now that this is a film I know I like already. Uh, I'm a a pretty big fan of it. Um, But there's a ton to talk about in this film. Uh, Mr. Keanu Reeves as Jonathan Harker. Winona Ryder as as Mina. There may be pseudo... Have you ever heard this story of how they were kind of married by like a gypsy priest for the scene in the film? There's a scene where they uh, yeah. do their vows, but yeah. the, the the priest that did it actually said that it was like a real sanctioned ceremony. Oh shit! So that they were actually married. Oh wow! No, I've never heard that. Take that, Anthony Hopkins chewing up the scenery, and Gary Oldman giving the Gary Oldmanists of performances button heads with Coppola left and right on this set. I can't wait to talk about this film. Get it, Carrie Elways. Yeah, Carrie Elways, Billy Campbell. Yep. Uh, my favorite part. I'll just let the cat bag Tom right Waits. now. Tom Waits is our, are going to be our Renfield and a different Renfield than the one we've dealt with a very much a side character, but very odd and interesting in his own right. Uh, my favorite aspect of this film is the soundtrack. Uh, and we'll talk about that plenty next week, but it gives a vibe and get to talk about Coppola, Coppola post Godfather kind of at the later part of his career. Like what does that look like for him? And why did he, want to do a Dracula film. Mm -hmm. What drew him to this project? I can't, I can't wait to talk about it. Cool. Good. Yeah. We do that. We got some big stuff coming up here. Uh, Summer movie season uh, churns along, but I got to get going. I'm going to go to a support group, uh, but this one's all about, you know, sports teams anonymous when your sports team sucks really bad. How How do you deal with that? Pretty good. But I think you take the arm of the starting pitcher that was supposed to be your ace and use it to lance the manager that won't let him throw more than 60 pitches in five innings and costs you game after game after game. That if the game. that if the pitch count don't get him first. <laughs> we'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Renfield is property of Universal Pictures, Skybound Entertainment, and Giant Wildcat. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Hi, are you here for the meeting? Well, come on. No, no. Some call me the Dark One. Others, the Lord of Death. To most, I am the action. Okay, obviously we're dealing with a little bit more than just narcissism here.
That's it. 